It's July just after the end of Shabbat, and about 100 people have gathered in the Likud majority of West Bank city of Malay Adumim. Hebrew University law professor Benny Porat, a resident of the city, is addressing the crowd. During his 10-minute speech, Porat said, standing next to the police headquarters in Malay Adumim, statements such as the Israeli majority has risen up and will no longer be silent, even as a few of the West Bank city's residents attempted to drown him out. I sat with Porat in his home this week, and we discussed Tuesday's long-awaited and explosive high court hearing over the first piece of the judicial overhaul legislation. We also talk about how Jewish legal tradition may help solve parts of this clash of the titans crisis. And so this week, I, Amanda borchel Dunn, asked Professor Benny Porat, what matters now? Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality they make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Benny, thank you so much for allowing me to join you in your beautiful home here in Malaya Domim. Good evening. In this week, we have witnessed a long-awaited hearing in the High Court that we expected to be a clash of the titans, and to me it really was. So I ask you this week, Benny, what matters now? What matters now? So first, of course, what will be the decision of the Supreme Court? If everyone now are waiting to hear what the Supreme Court will decide with regard to the basic law about the reasonableness and uh, about its future. And the second thing that is even more matters, how, what will be the reaction of the government, whether or not they will recognize the authority of the Supreme Court to decide about that, or they will not recognize this is a meeting of these two titans. Yeah. So it really did seem to me that this is the question throughout the whole hearing. You mentioned the word authority, and I think the underpinning of this whole discussion is who gets the authority? Who is allowed to decide what will happen? Who rules the country in a way? Would you agree with that? 
uh, to some extent no i'm i'm not sure that then i i think some some of the i would say the supporter of the a uh, judicial uh, reform will uh, try to uh, express it that way that it's about the authority i'm not sure that the opponents will uh, describe it that way it's more about the check and balances so to what extent the majority and the coalition needs some check and balances from other entities such as the Supreme Court or not so this is how it seems from the other side and therefore this is about the authority of check and balances so one of the stars with the hearing was actually a piece of paper the Declaration of Independence and in the Declaration of Independence in a way the canonization of Israel as a Jewish and democratic state was the was written down, shall we say. Canonization, I'm using that word uh, actually because of your specialty in, in, yeah. in law. So first of all, just explain what your specialty is, and then we'll move on. So my specialty is about Jewish law, which is about the Jewish legal tradition for the last 2,000 or 3,000 uh, years, and, and to, what ex- to what extent and to what ways it can be relevant to uh, matter and legal, legal discussions, uh, some technical issues and some principal uh, issues. And of course, the uh, issue of the judicial reform is very principal and matters to all of us. But about uh, to what extent the Jewish legal tradition can be relevant to our modern life. So were you surprised that the Declaration of Independence was so focused upon in some of the testimony and some of the presentations? No, it's not surprising because it was mentioned before, before the hearing. And the, the reason that the Declaration of Independence is so important because the, those who are against the judicial reform are trying to look for some hook in order to uh, limit uh, the role of the government. And for that purpose, we need some formative paper, some formative thing, and, and uh, the Declaration of Independence just sit there. This is a kind of a, a formative declaration that structures uh, uh, limitations and the authorities and to what extent the government can act, and, and therefore it goes just To deep down to this paper and to what, to what extent it has some authority uh, about the government. But the piece of paper itself the, and what's written there actually doesn't have any standing, correct? This is also part of the debate. Uh, it doesn't have official uh, standing, even though in one of the basic laws of uh, uh, human dignity, uh, there is a recognition that Israel recognizes the idea of human dignity in the spirit of the Declaration of Independence. So this is a place where uh, it, it has some uh, official uh, legal status, even though it's under debate. It's under debate what is the legal status of the Declaration of Independence. Of course, no one will argue that the Tikva, for example, has some legal status. The Declaration of Independence is much more complicated, and this is part of the debate. But what we have to remember, it's not a technical debate. It's not some boring debate of, of, of some you know, law professors. It's something that goes deep down, To what extent the government has authority to do whatever they want or there are some limits and and the limitations are in the declaration of independence therefore it's it's so important that the debate goes to as the status of this uh, declaration there are some who have proposed that it be adopted as part of the Constitution and I wonder in your specialty if you can tell me whether religious leadership would recognize it and 
as some kind of authority on par with, shall we say, I don't know, the Bible, the Ten Commandments? Would it have that much authority? Because here in Israel, we've been so reticent to creating a constitution. And I wonder if part of it has been some kind of religious sensitivity that nobody's really talking about. So you mentioned the Ten Commandments, and it, it, it's very nice because, you know, m- many years ago, and of course the debates that we have today are not new. We, we, we experienced them for, for uh, several decades. So in one, in one of the rounds, one of the Haredi representatives, I think it was Derry, but I'm not uh, sure, said that I don't want even the Ten Commandments as a, of the Constitution of Israel, because according to his view, it's unimportant what, what will be written in the Constitution. It's in, make the, the difference who will interpret the Constitution. And once the Supreme Court justices will interpret the Constitution, even though it was the Ten Commandment, it will be interpreted by their liberal, secular perspective, uh, etc. And therefore, from this perspective, of course, we don't want the Constitution. Yeah, we want it to be uh, free enough for us, the politicians, to do whatever we want, and we don't want the constraints and the limitations of the Supreme Court and the Constitution. So how much do you think this actually plays into this debate of whether Israel should or should not have a constitution? The religious parties are extremely powerful in the Knesset, especially right now. So is this a, a card that they're playing? We have to remember that all of the mess that we are experiencing now is just because Israel doesn't have a constitution. Once we have a constitution, so we won't be in this kind of a of a mess and uh, and a debate. And it's not by accident that we don't have a constitution because we couldn't reach to the agreements about all of these basic principles. And 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 most of them is a relationship between the three branches, so between the executive branch and the uh, judiciary. Uh, so it's not by accident that we don't have a, a constitution. And by the way. Uh, you know, some of the supporters of the, this judicial reform trying to bring some example from other states, for example, from the U.S., and say, listen, in the U.S., the president has authority to nominate uh, judges. So uh, if it's good to the U.S., why it's not good for us? So first, it's not just, it's not works like that in the U.S. But second, it's more important, in the U.S., there is, there is a constitution. And once you have a constitution, and other mechanisms as well, you have two houses of Congress, and you have separation between the federal level and the state level. All of these mechanisms we don't have here in Israel, and, and first and foremost, we don't have a constitution. And therefore, the only one entity that can limit the, the government not to do whatever they want is the Supreme Court. And therefore, it's so crucial, uh, uh, this debate. Let's talk a little bit more about the sensitivity, the, the religious sensitivity of having a secular authority interpret law in general. And you wrote an essay which talks about the concept of Adam Hashuv, and in, I think you called it a dignified person yeah. in English. First of all, explain what this concept is. Yeah, so what, what I try to do in my research and with my, one of my colleagues uh, about this judicial reform from a Jewish law perspective, and our argument was that the debates that we are experiencing today are not new. The Jewish community during the Middle Ages have the same debates, and the Jewish community, of course, it was not a state, it was, it was not a modern state, but it was a political entity that was uh, run by some politicians, which was called the seven good p- uh, people of the town. And they, of course, wanted authorities, wanted power. 
They wanted to do a lot of things, and and there was the rabbinical courts, which was a judiciary, and there were a lot of tensions between these two entities, and we can see how the Jewish legal tradition was so um, see so much importance in the idea that uh, there should be independent judiciaries that put some limitations to the uh, politicians. So, for example. One of the mechanisms that the Jewish law established for that purpose was the doctrine of Adam Hashuv, the dignified person, which is, according to our argument, is similar to the attorney general, which is not a part of the court, but before, when, when enacting enactments in the Jewish community, According to Jewish law sources, then the politicians, the leader of the community, has to get the approval of this dignified person, which is the rabbi of this place or the one who is expert in law. And his purpose was to look for two things. First, that the, the, the communal enactments are aligned with the law. And the second one, that are aligned not only with the interest of the majority, but with the interest of the whole community. These two things should be checked before en enacting an enactment. And, uh, and actually today, this is what the uh, legal advisors and the attorney generals, they are our main uh, role to look that the uh, actions and decision of the executive branch are aligned with the law in the general uh, interest of the state. And from this perspective, it was so important uh, for Jewish laws that while we are recognizing the authority of the majority to uh, control the community, but to put some check and balances, and the dignified person is one of them. Tell us about other checks and balances throughout Jewish history on leadership. So another very important mechanism, which is also very relevant for today, once the Jewish community enacted enactment, and someone felt that uh, he's unpleasant, that he's being damaged or or it's violated his right, he has the, a right to appeal to the rabbinical court. And the rabbinical court has the authority to overrule the communal enactments. So even though it was legislated by the majority, the rabbinical court had the authority to overrule this kind of enactment. And by the way, of course, the, the idea of a override clause or something like that, that the majority can reenact something that was uh, overruled, of course, it was, uh, 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 an, an, it was not an option. So once the enactment was recognized as illegitimate, it was annulled. And, and this is something that uh, also part of the judicial reform, to what extent the Supreme Court had the authority to overrule regular legislation, special legislation like basic laws. This is something that also part of the yesterday uh, hearing at the Supreme Court. As a non-religious person, I shudder inside every time you say that it's a rabbinical authority who had the the final say. But it sounds to me like you're doing a one-to-one -one ratio with the civil authority that we have today. Is that correct? Yeah, there is some a kind of a jump here because you know in 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 the arena of the uh, Jewish traditional community, so the judiciary was where the rabbis, where the rabbinical uh, court, and we are not. Uh, we don't. We are, we are not living here today in an halachic state. This is a secular state, or at least non-religious state. 
So, of course, now one should ask himself, who are the modern Israeli parallels to this dignified person of Torah or rabbinical court? So one can argue that we want a Lachic state and we want it to be the rabbis. So we can debate whether it's it's good or, 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 or bad, but definitely this is not the current situation. So having said that, and if we assume that we, if we are in a secular state, my argument here is that we as Israelis and modern Israelis that want some connection with, with our Jewish roots need to, to think who is a modern translation of this dignified person. From my suggestion, this is a general attorney. Who is a parallel to the rabbinical court in the Jewish community? My suggestion is the Supreme Court. And 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 it it, it it's it, et cetera, et cetera, in the sense that I think we should establish our check and balances mechanisms in modern Israel with some conversation with this Jewish uh, past. And I think this is a very important uh, infrastructure that we can derive a lot of insights, a lot of vocabulary, very interesting terminology and way of thinking in order to enrich our modern uh, legal discourse. I would say it even from a different perspective. There are those who try to uh, present the current debate between the Israelis and the Jews. Yeah, the Jews represent a, a traditional, authentic Jewish perspective, and the Israelis represent a modern, secular, liberal, etc., etc. From my perspective, this is a very dangerous exposition. And my argument is that also from Jewish perspective, these check and balances are very important. But we have to think about the modern secular translation of these Jewish uh, uh, ideas. And this is a deep meaning of being a Jewish and democratic state. Being uh, a Jewish and democratic state, from my perspective, it's not only a state of the Jews, but also a state that has some interesting, open-minded a conversation which is a Jewish tradition and mainly with its Jewish legal tradition. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning. Without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway? to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. I know that the Supreme Court has a legal advisor on Jewish law, Hila ben Eliyahu. And so is this something that she would be advising the Supreme Court on when they're reaching this kind of decision? Definitely. This uh, role is about, and, 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 and we have to say that in the Supreme Court, mainly today, 
there is a lot of openness to to derive some ideas and benefits from the Jewish legal tradition and some someone needs some expert needs to uh, To deliver to bring these uh, ideas to the knowledge of the uh, justices not all of them are experts in, in Jewish law most of them are not and this is a very important uh, role and we can see it in variety of Supreme Court decisions the Jewish law take a very interesting uh, role in shaping the uh, decisions of the Supreme Court and bring very interesting voice that a very unexpected voice and, and there are a variety of examples. Is there a parallel position also in the Knesset? Yeah, also in the Knesset there is such an advisor and this is uh, his task and is is and also in the Department of Justice so there are some uh, this kind of uh, positions also in the he in the university in the faculty of law in Israel it's a mandatory course so what I say to my first year students at uh, their colleagues in Europe uh, learn at first year Roman law And also in the UK in Israel we decided that instead of Roman law we are uh, learning Jewish law which of course Jewish law and Roman law are the main ancient legal systems that shaped uh, a Western legal tradition so Jewish law it's a mandatory course here in all of the faculties of law uh, uh, in Israel and yeah it takes very interesting role both in uh, legal education and then in the Knesset in the Supreme Court in the de- justice de- department and and someone it's such a fascinating area especially the brush with modernity and how you adapt the past into the present you've talked about a couple two examples so far do you have any more examples of how we can pull from the past into the present in our current crisis situation here an example which is not related to this specific uh, uh, crisis but I think can give sense about the potential of going back to the Jewish legal tradition and and the Supreme Court of Israel in the last uh, I would say 10-15 years had several cases different cases but what co- was what was common to all of them that the deep tension was between so on the one hand the right to, to uh, freedom of speech and And the other hand the right to reputation and the Supreme Court had to decide between the two for example and, and there were several examples where was a TV show about a Hanasenish Hanasenish is a great hero of the Second World War but it was not a regular drama it was called a doco drama that uh, it was a kind of a combination between document and, and drama reenactments and yeah and and the authors of made this a, a, a few speeches in the in the story and as we all know Hannah Sennis was tortured by the Nazis and and she didn't uh, uh, tell the Nazis about her friends and according to this movie she was broken and she told the, the Nazis about her friends and then the the Sennish family appealed to the Supreme Court in order not to enable this to broadcast this uh, uh, TV series and and their arguments that uh, you are violating our our or her right for reputation all, all of us know that uh, she was not broken in in when she was tortured and of course on the other uh, hand uh, the authors of this uh, series are you you're not serious about you you're not about to censor some uh, you know TV show it's about uh, the freedom of speech freedom of art and the Supreme Court had to decide between these uh, two uh, very, very basic values and there are several examples and what's very important interesting in this discussion what's very interesting in this discussion and and and, and the rest of them is that 
it was uh, there was a lot of influence about uh, what are the sources of inspiration of the justices those who uh, was mostly in, in, inspired from american american sources of course were a, a big supporters of the idea of freedom of speech and where we do not limit uh, any kind of freedom of press or speech or art those who was uh, most inspired by jewish law sources were great supporters of the idea of right of reputation and, and the idea that we are willing to limit some uh, uh, to some extent freedom of speech in order to defend the right to reputation of some individuals so there was an interesting debate between these two uh, parts in in this specific case uh, the Supreme Court decided to allow the broadcasting of, of, of uh, this case in other uh, it was a, a different decision it was depend about uh, who are the justices and what's the ratio between Between the two but what we can see in this example to what ex- how, how it's important to bring this uh, a modern interpretation to Jewish law sources and to enrich the modern discussion from different and other perspectives uh, that are not come directly from uh, the US or Europe but bring some very uh, other interest uh, ideas values and, and sensitivities that we don't have today. Many times we hear about situations in which the idea of women kind of causes a torpedo effect to legislation or to some kind of codification such as the right to equality, for example. Or I also wonder if the fact that the Chief Justice is a woman and the Attorney General is a woman, if this is problematic in religious circles in terms of accepting their authority? It's a, a great question. And I'm a, a big supporter of the idea to, you know, to be inspired from a Jewish law and to bring some insights and, and ideas. But of course, it should be selective. And it should be selective in the sense that we have to pick and choose and to see what fits modern society and what's not. And of course, uh, this gender aspect, uh, the status of women, this is a kind of an example that I'm not suggesting to derive uh, ideas from uh, Jewish law. Of course, Jewish law was developed before the feminist uh, revolution. And uh, of course, it, it might be updated to its time, but the Jewish law didn't experience yet the feminist revolution. And therefore, in this regard, I think that uh, with regard to the status of women, I'm not sure that we want to uh, derive ideas and principles from uh, Jewish law. It is very interesting that, for example, Haredi uh, MKs in, in, in Israel, we won't, they won't have a problem to collaborate with the attorney general, even though she's a woman, or with a Supreme Court justice, etc. But they won't have a, a woman in their party. So there is a very uh, strong and uh, uh, thick separation between the two. So while in their community, in their party, you won't find any women that don't have a, a problem to collaborate with secular women or with secular uh, circles. And this kind of uh, uh, separation, which is, of course, it's very important. And this is another issue uh, that we in Israel are uh, struggling with, to what extent uh, uh, Israel can uh, enforce uh, political parties to have women in their uh, parties. This is a very tricky uh, question. Uh, today, Israel are not enforcing that. But trying to give some incentive so it's it's a very tricky question yeah do you think that the women issue could be one of the reasons that we won't reach a constitution eventually 
it's about gender issues it's about uh, Jews and non-Jews and especially it's about uh, the status of some uh, I, I think marriage and divorce so marriage and divorce in Israel are controlled exclusively by the religious law this is something that it has its own reason on the one hand but a lot of also disadvantages and and, and a very problematic uh, uh, institution so there are some pros and cons and uh, I think one of the basic fears that the once Israel we have a constitution with recognizing the idea of uh, equality so uh, it might be that marriage and divorce will not uh, remain controlled exclusively by the religious uh, laws I think yeah it's 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 relate in one way or another to some gender issues so this is all circling around the the question can we really have a Jewish and democratic state yeah yeah and in the bottom line we go to this very uh, uh, deep question about uh, Judaism and democracy uh, Judaism and liberalism and uh, uh, of course there are those from the two sides of the map that are trying to convince us that this kind of collaboration uh, is impossible because uh, Judaism and democracy are in a very deep tension and therefore we have to decide so there are those who decide to be a democratic and non-jewish state and there are those who are trying to decide to be a Jewish and non-democratic state and uh, there is a very interesting uh, uh, meeting point between these two uh, extreme views I belong to those who believe that we have no other option uh, but to find the meeting point between between Judaism and democracy of course Judaism has many interpretation I'm not saying that there is only one interpretation but it has many interpretation and we have to strength to choose to build the democratic interpretation of Jewish uh, tradition I think this is the only way that we can survive and prosper in this uh, tough neighborhood uh, because we, we need to have a very strong deep and a, a cultural roots and the only way to do that is with uh, by having a deep conversation with our uh, uh, Jewish roots and uh, as long as we won't solve this kind of tension between Judaism and humanism or democracy so we be doomed to to be in this kind of tension and and this is the main task of of, of us to do so I think there's a Jewish law project for example within Israeli academia is one kind of trying to solve this kind of riddle how we can give a modern and democratic interpretation to Jewish law ideas in a way that can support and not negate the idea of a democratic state you mentioned the two camps and just to drill down on that there's so many uh, non-religious people who are so I don't know how to put it exactly so fearful perhaps of uh, the encroachment upon their democratic values that anyone wearing a kippah at this point is now a target and especially today when we're so up in arms over this uh, judicial overhaul and I have friends tell me that they walked down the street in Tel Aviv wearing a kippah and they were yelled at and spat upon and this is also a wrinkle in in everything we're talking about right now yeah yeah it's, there are some horrible sociological also aspects there are some families that are not that, that, that are find difficult to, to speak with one another and and of course uh, 
זה קרייסיס now, it's not a polite academic crisis, but it goes to the streets, and, and I fear that we saw only the beginning of that, and, and therefore it's so, so important that uh, I would say people who wear a kippah, for example, yeah, like myself, I think, uh, can expose a different, more complex, more nuanced, and more deep perspective. Uh, perspective uh, and uh, we as a society should not fall into this kind of stereotypes you know, that if you are secular so you are uh, ABC and if you are religious so it's a uh, DEF so it's so important to break this kind of stereotype and to think more deeply more uh, in a more complex way more nuanced way and this part of the of the project so for example we here in Maladumim who We, there is a group uh, of part of the demonstrations uh, every Saturday uh, night after uh, Shabbat it's a very unique demonstration it's untypical we, we you won't find it not in uh, Tel Aviv and uh, even not in Jerusalem because it's a demonstration of uh, people that belong to the right and most of them part of them are religious and uh, nevertheless they think that uh, this judicial uh, reform is is a very dangerous move to to Israel and what we find that this helps in order to break these kind of stereotypes and to think out of the box so you're very vocally in against the judicial overhaul and you live as you said in Maladumim and it's a Likud voting city for the most part uh, maybe also other right-wing parties and have you experienced any blowback for being so vocally anti-judicial overhaul so of course there's a lot of uh, debates but at least to my my personal experience I think the debates are you know are being made in a very uh, dignity and respectful and and I think till now we live peacefully together uh, with my neighbors with my uh, relatives even though we are agree so we agreed not to agree and 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 uh, everything is, is is okay at least till now but it uh, who knows what uh, will be you know next week next next month and and uh, there were some weeks that Israel felt that it's on the edge of a civil war I think that we are far from there now but um, it's it's a fear that is, is, is there and and we remember this kind of an option and and we should you Of course, I think not tr- translate this uh, ideological debate into some sociological uh, separation between groups in Israel. And that circles back to your opening uh, remark, which is we're waiting for the decision of the high court. Now, you have a very uh, unique Talmud class that you conduct. Who are its members? This is a very unique Talmud class that was established 60 years ago before I was born, and uh, it ran... From then to today, it's a Talmud class that is aimed for judges, justices, and leading lawyers in Jerusalem. So I'm, I'm running this class for the last eight years. It's a very interesting class. Uh, and this class sits very leading uh, lawyers, some uh, discrete uh, judges from uh, the District Court of Jerusalem, Supreme Court uh, justices. Some of them religious, some of them secular, and all of them has a very respectful feeling to the Talmud and and that it shares the idea that is very relevant to our modern legal thinking. So it's a very interesting uh, opportunity to bring sources from two thousand years ago and to think about their meaning to our modern life. Great experience, and uh, we enjoy it very much. And has the crisis bled into this class at all? 
it did. Yeah, there are most of the participants are against this kind of judicial uh, overhaul. Some of them are supporters, but we're trying to separate between you know the, our love to the Talmud and to the law, and our disagreement about the status of of, of this uh, judicial overhaul. Benny, thank you so much for sharing your time with me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Really a pleasure. Take care. Okay. During that Maliyadomim protest in July, the demonstrators participated in the great Israeli pastime of Shirah B'Tzibur, or communal singing. One of the songs they chose was Nomi Shemer's Lu Yihi, which was written 50 years ago during the Yom Kippur War. It's a prayer for the quick end to war, and this is a sentiment that rings true during the current crisis as well. Special thanks to Charlie Summers for his help with What Matters Now transcripts. What Matters Now is produced and edited by the Podwaves. Please go to timesofisrael.com slash webinar to register for our next webinar panel, which is on September 20th with former ambassador to the U.S. David Friedman, former MK Michal Kotler-Wunsch, and Professor Gil Troy, offering differing stances on whether or not the diaspora should take an active role in the judicial overhaul crisis. If you have comments about this or other episodes, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.